It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Jay Cutler. Started a new podcast called Uncut with Jay Cutler. Most of you know me from the NFL. Some of you have seen me on Instagram. And some of you know me from the reality TV world. Each week I'm taking you along with me as we discuss football, trending topics, and whatever's going on in my life each week. I'm bringing along people that are special in my life. Former teammates, friends, and some new people that I like and respect. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Podcasting? I think I'm doing this right. Can't wait to get started with you. Go subscribe now. Uncut with Jay Cutler. Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the first NBA Tears podcast of this regular season. Really thrilled to have Matt Moore of the Action Network on, and this one focuses on ceilings, which is a really fun thing to work through, and then, of course, to talk about with Matt, and here we go. Thank you so much for coming on. Happy to be on. Always love doing this with you. As I usually do, you are the one who chooses the criteria, so I will let you explain it to listeners. So for this edition, um, I was interested in doing ceilings. So I think one thing that people miss is, you know, when when two teams play, it's very rare in the regular season that both teams play to their capacity. It's honestly pretty rare in the the postseason that both teams play their best. You get those rare games where two teams kind of cross over a little bit and with great and that makes for really great games and really telling games. But oftentimes we just don't get that indication um, so, but you oftentimes see a team play to their ceiling, um, and that oftentimes will result in the opponent, especially if they're inferior, not being able to play to their ceiling because they're getting killed. So the idea here is simply one game environment, they give their best, um, and for injuries, I said, if it's reasonable they return this season, then you can include them. Like, I am including Jamal Murray in my evaluation of the Nuggets. I'm not including Kawhi Leonard, despite indications he might return, because I do not believe that he will return this season. It, it's so- so much fun. more nebulous with Kawhi. Yeah. That's that. That was the thing for me. Um, where it's like, and also because we've gotten so little information. Whereas with Jamal Murray, like I think we have a pretty decent idea of how things are going. Right. Um, the other thing that I'll add in is I thought of this as being in my mind. I thought of it a little bit more that there's also a passage of time. So I was thinking of you brought up the like one-off games. I was thinking of these games occurring in like April. I don't know why that was in my head of like being a playoff time. Let's put it that way, yeah. April through. Yeah. And so what that means is. There are a few teams that really benefit there. One of it is that like players, James Harden, who are going through adjustments right now, I assume that those adjustments will have been made successful or otherwise. You know, like the idea there. 
And also as a point of clarification, I'm not doing this as like 99th percentile outcome. I'm thinking more like 95th. So it's not like right. all of a sudden Happy Gilmore learns how to putt. Like every guy who can't shoot on a team <laughs> can generally right. shoot or something like that. It's like, okay, this is things go very well. Your team is healthy. They're gelled, but it's not like everything. And also the same kind of thing for teams that like the one of the categories I have is like kind of correctable flaws, like one of the things I was thinking about. And so it's like, okay, if your team has a flaw, but it's like you need a unicorn and those guys don't you don't have the assets to acquire one, then you don't count that. But if it's like all you need is a maybe like a low usage wing because your rotation is just sorely like it. Maybe I'll give you a little bit of a possibility that you get it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like that. I like the way that you, yeah. you did that. The other thing that I did on this, which I thought was kind of fun, is that I laid out my tiers, like the criteria for them, before I placed a single team. I'm like, okay, if we're doing it ceiling, then I can actually like think about what this would be. And so I'll just tell people what they are right now. This is the way I described it. So tier one is how the hell do we deal with this? And that does not always exist every year. Like there's not always a team that is just like, okay, like this is just a pain in the ass. Tier two is beatable, but difficult. So it's like, okay, you can, you can do it, but do that. Three is, I called it talented, but solvable. Um, four is feisty or in the mix. So like they could be threatening five was in the vicinity, but I'm not quite there yet, which was basically something that happened when I had too many teams in one tier and went, I don't trust all these teams the same amount. Then everything needs to go right. And then the dregs. So it was like kind of that was the it was kind of fun to go through it and be like, okay, now I'm just placing all these teams in that. And then I got into a few existential crises, mostly involving the Clippers and the Nuggets. <laughs> that as is want to happen with two teams missing uh, one of their two best players on the roster that that and two teams that honestly have track records of proven success in the playoffs that like it's tough to try and evaluate right and, and also like now with Michael Malone's success two teams that can have coaches that have made successful adjustments in series and that is you know like if we're thinking about playing high level opposition that matters you know like can you do you play the right players? Do you get the timings and all that stuff right? And there, there aren't as many teams right now where I'm just like, you know, Mavericks excluded, where I'm like, okay, that's a that's a real thing that's scaring me with this team. But as as the season shifts out, that could very well happen. Yeah, it's so interesting because these this first ten games or so, I'm going to be very interested to hear what you think is sustainable and what you think is not sustainable. Both not just from the good, but from the bad side. I think yes. that's that's going to be one of the most interesting things to kind of discuss here because uh, I have some fire takes. I think to fire off in regards to what we've seen and what's real and what's not. Yeah. So so let's do it. Um, I'll let you start. What is your first tier? I laid out my tier in terms of descriptions. Not that descriptions are required, but what is your tier one? So my first tier uh, are juggernauts, mm-hmm. and there's just two teams, and it's the Golden State Warriors at ten and one, and the Milwaukee Bucks at six and six, which tells <laughs> you a lot about where we are. Um, so with the Warriors, I I was high on this team coming in. <clears throat> I have a, a substantial amount of my bankroll on various futures, and I just added today for NBA Bet, which you can find at NBA.com slash NBA Bet, my futures Friday, I just added a Pacific title bet because they are still plus 170 for some reason. So Wow, they're still plus 170? Yeah, they're not even hmm. the favorite. Suns remain the favorite to win the Pacific Division. So, uh, look, to me, this everyone's kind of still holding out because, like, well, the schedule's been really weak. And a lot of it for me is, do I have concerns that this team is going to be a paper tiger in the playoffs? No, I do not. I do not. <laughs> I have the core of a team that won multiple championships. So, no, I am not concerned about that. Uh, do I think that 
the defense is unsustainable? No, because I've seen Kerr's defenses play this way, and I know what Draymond brings to the table. Also added Draymond Green for Defensive Player of the Year at plus 2,000 today as part of NBA bet. Um, they, to me, like, to me, you look at this, their offense is starting to heat up. They're now sixth in adjusted offensive rating uh, per dunks and threes.com. They were much lower than that. The offense is heating up. The defense remains stout. Uh, they pose all sorts of problems. And more than anything, I get the sense from this team, they're going for it. Like, you can watch the Warriors and sense that they are, like, hungry, but not being hungry in the way the Heat are, where I think they're actually pushing it too far in the regular season. The Warriors just look primed to ride the waves of the regular season, um, crest over all of those waves, and maintain throughout. The Bucks look... We saw them at we saw them one moment when they were fully healthy and engaged, and that was the absolute destruction of the Brooklyn Nets on opening night. And since then, we haven't seen it. So I really don't care what has happened in between there. I have absolute confidence in the Bucks being ready and Giannis, who looks better than ever, um, being there at the end. I think the Bucks at full health, at full strength, on their best day, can be absolutely anybody in the NBA. So those are the only two teams that I feel that way about. I have both of those teams in my tier two. And if we were doing this on a different criteria, I probably would have had them in tier one, possibly by themselves. Um, I, I think that a lot of what you said about the Warriors is really spot on. I And the way I would describe it is, I don't necessarily think their current level of performance, I mean, their Queen of Glass net rating is plus 13 right now. Like that's that's unrealistic, especially when you consider the, the quality competition. But could they plausibly be a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense? Of course. Like that, that's not, it's not a hard sales pitch. And one really fascinating data point that I'm keeping an eye on for the Warriors this year is that, you know, through, through 11 games, they have, they're outscoring opponents when Steph Curry's off the floor. And they're not doing that. This has been my thing for years. They're not doing that by offense. They're doing that by having a defensive rating below 100. And yeah, parts of that are unsustainable. But I like, I kind of like the concept of that. And, and some of it is also, remember, like, one of the differences you're like, okay, what is this team now versus what we'll see is, yes, the Warriors have been, the players that have been available to them have been pretty healthy so far. But they're also missing, even if Clay is limited, Clay becomes one of their three to four best players, even if he's 80% of what he was. And so that is, and adds a defensive element and everything else. So yeah, I, I, I have the Warriors like in that beatable but difficult group. But my tier one is just one team, and it is the Brooklyn Nets because oh, this is hey. a this is a ceiling thing. This is not if we were saying how good they're going to be in the regular season. It's not how good they're going to be. I think that there is you know, it, and this includes Kyrie Irving returning. This includes all of that. But so so there are two parts of it. One, I think that if we're talking you know ninety fifth percentile outcome. And we saw parts of this before the wheels fell off the wagon in the playoffs last year. I think they could be one of the greatest offenses of all time. And if that is a different level of quality than any of the other teams kind of have on either end of the floor. And their defense sucks, and their defense probably will continue to suck. But could they get to, like, league average for a five-game stretch? Yeah, sure. Brooklyn is third in adjusted defensive rating. Yeah, but it, it's so it's so interesting. I was I was doing I was doing Nate and I were talking about this. Like, I their defense has been very good statistically so far. I don't believe it at all. Yeah. So this is my thing, and I get the response there is like, well, they're also nineteenth in offensive rating. Do you think that that's true? And I'm like, no, I don't. Like, they're going to wind up as a top five offense. They have Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie will come back. I guess at some point theoretically. I mean, maybe. Um, and they've got Joe and Joe Harris and Lamarcus Aldridge is, is shooting pretty well, and um, Patty Mills is a flamethrower, et cetera, et cetera. Like, we knew this. Here's my problem. They can't get stops. 
I don't believe this team can get stopped. I understand that they have. They have because when I've watched, like it's this. This is a lot of it. Is you watch over and over and over again teams that that are shooting shots that definitely should go in versus Blake Griffin, and they just rim out. And I think the physicality has something to do with that right now, right? Like the physicality of where the league is officiating wise is allowing this small ball lineup to get away with it a little bit more. But effectively, Nick Claxton has been already obliterated and removed. That's concerning because he was kind of like well, part of that might be this sickness the, the illness that he's dealing sure. with but absolutely could be maybe that was like that that very well could have been the case um i just think if we look at this and go you are <laughs> this is the, the big part i am going very contrarian against the common thought process of last year's playoff run where people go, if Harden got, hadn't gotten hurt and Kyrie hadn't gotten hurt or, or if Kevin Durant hadn't stepped on the line, and I understand all of that, my my feeling on this is that the Bucks, the reason that series was the way it was was because the Bucks had not figured themselves out yet. They were still doing Buck stuff where it's like they sh- that shot should go in. Nope, just doesn't go in. Oh, that shot should go in. Nope, just doesn't go in. Like they're expected a field goal percentage versus their actual was so poor. And the matchups, when you watch, you're like, that's a makeable shot. There's nobody guarding him or that's Blake Griffin guarding him I do not believe in this Nets team because of the defense I do not believe that they can do this I think that they get into a series with a more confident Bucks team that has played them and knows how they play that the Bucks will still come out on top I can be wrong I'm open to being wrong I'm not doubting the talent Kevin Durant is one of three guys that I would say are the best players in the NBA right now and if you want to make a, a, an argument that Kevin Durant is outright I have a hard time saying no like it's incredible watching him Kevin Durant can't do everything they do not have enough frontline defense well and it's, the other the other problem like oh sorry to interrupt you but along that line is that the problems Brooklyn has defensively in terms of personnel they're easy to patch but hard to solve like that is a I, to me that is the best to the best argument it's like, oh yeah, okay, you can do some stuff with switching. Sure, but you need to have the right center for that. And you need to have, like, everything needs to fit together. They don't really have that. And then they don't have the the alternate theory, which would be the discount Rudy Gobert, who you can go to a drop system, and yeah, you're going to give up some stuff. Because remember, if if Brooklyn had a league average offense, or the league average defense, like, if you believe in the ceiling of their offense, like, they'd be fine. And yes, they've been better than that. But, like, we both don't trust it. Yeah, and so this is a lot of it. It's just, I don't doubt the offense. I, I do believe that the playoffs are more about solving problems. I personally, like, the the way that the Nets are constructed is um, not to solve problems when they're on offense. It's just to be like, well, they can do whatever they want, but we have these talented players that they'll just hit shots and that's it. Yeah. And I think that over the course of a seven-game series, that gets very difficult. And I think we've seen that consistently, especially, quite honestly, with Durant. Um, not that Durant's not a champion or super successful or not playoff verified. I go back to the Rocket series and how they switched on him and he just went to them ISO, 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 ISO. And the efficiency over the course of the series wears off a little bit. And had Chris Paul not gotten hurt, they probably the Rockets probably win that series. And so now in this modern context, I believe that the Nets basically are just like, well, it doesn't really matter. We'll just figure it out. We'll just get enough. And I'm like, okay, if you can't, you don't have a defense that's built to solve problems because you're not versatile enough. And offensively, you're not built to solve problems because your entire conceit is that it doesn't matter, which you're probably right on two of the three, right? Like Kyrie and KD go off, but Harden's having some trouble with the matchup. Or KD and Harden are having, are just killing them. But Kyrie's struggling a little bit with whatever defense they run up against. They're so dependent on it just not mattering. And I can't buy into that. Yeah. I think they're matchup vulnerable, and so I cannot have them tier one. 
that's all fair. Um, I want to mention one other thing. I was going to mention this at the outset. So where, you know, you're dealing with small sample sizes, opponent three-point shooting is something that you generally teams do less to control. And I think it's such an interesting part of how we think about teams 10 games in. So I'm going to rattle off the top, the five teams that have had the worst opponent shooting and then the five that have had the best. And you kind of, listeners can think about how this affects the way they've thought about these teams. So these are the teams with the worst opponent three-point shooting. We're absolute worst Wizards. Then the Nets, then the Celtics, then the the Spurs and the Magic, okay? Then the teams that have had the best opponent shooting, so they're making the highest percentage. Starting with the Pistons, where opponents are making 42% of their threes against them, which is ludicrous. Pistons, Grizzlies, Blazers, Suns, Pels. Just noting that out there. Uh, I've got right now in front of me uh, some data that I asked somebody to send over for me for a post I was working on. The Brooklyn Nets have the highest differential between expected field goal percentage and actual on the opponent. Uh, opponents should be shooting an effective field goal percentage of 52%. They're actually shooting 47.8. That's a 4.32. That is the biggest differential in the league. The second uh, di- biggest differential is the Wizards at number two. Then the Lakers, the Rockets, and the Clippers. So what you have here is you have a Nets team that none of us think of as a defensive juggernaut who teams are shooting absolutely miserably against. With a 40s, Teams are shooting a 47.8% effective field goal percentage against them i the i'll say well, well i will say this we said this about the knicks last year when the knicks had the second uh highest expected opponent effective field goal percentage and the 29th actual we yeah. thought uh seth part now in particular buddy of mine who i often clash with the expectation was that that would uh, that would that has to regress that's just not, that's too much of an outlier I kept betting on the Knicks because I felt I was like, you know what? Sometimes there's these years where one team is able to sustain that outlier through the regular season and then it catches up with them in the playoffs and the subsequent season. And that's what we've seen. It caught up to them in the playoffs when Trey Young tore them apart and it's caught up to them in the season when their defense is absolute garbage. So this is kind of what I think with the Nets is that they're going to they may look like a good defensive team for a while, for a long stretch of the season, maybe the entire season. But come playoff time, they're not going to look like this type of defensive team. And given how Harden has looked and all of the things with this team and this roster um i just simply cannot have the confidence in them the only other thing i mentioned on the nets and i think they're worthy of this level of discussion because they're such a fascinating team is that they they're kind of like a perfect storm of things that drive me crazy because they are allergic to low-hanging fruit where right. they're this they're the slowest team like they, they don't run on offense they're terrible in transition defense and they also like i mean so it's like all these things that are primarily like effort-based elements not entirely they also don't force any turnovers on defense which generally speaking that 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 ends up voting poorly for teams i'm fine with not getting offensive rebounds like that's not a depending on how you're going to structure it that's generally okay but it's just like it just when i watch them sometimes especially in the games when like the feedback loops go the wrong way it's like it's not that crazy to have a couple of guys that can do some of these things and i just i I go ballistic on them um but so i'll go through because my tier i'll kind of combine this with my tier two and the ceiling part of this is funny because I there are a couple teams in this my tier two that I don't believe in, but I have here or I don't believe in their current iteration because it's like, could it work out? Yeah. Do I think it will? No. And so so the Bucks and the Warriors are here for me. Same. We already talked about why that's there. I'm totally fine. I thought about having the Bucks in tier one. I'm just they're they're not they're a little bit more defensively versatile, but I'm still I'm still a little bit queasy there because they're some of their best defensive versatile players are limited offensively 
Um, but then the other two here, I'm just like, ugh. But it's ceiling exercise, and that's the Heat and the Lakers. So Miami, I'm not a believer in their half court offense. I've you know watched that whole game against the Celtics. That was a reminder of some of the limitations of this group. But I believe in their defense. Their defense is phenomenal. And if you were to say like, what are is there a chance that they figure out their offense well enough, especially with the, some of the transition stuff, even if that's lower in playoffs? Sure. And then with the Lakers, it's I mean I think Russell Westbrook's a terrible fit. I think that. A lot of I don't th- I don't trust a lot of the players that they brought in in kind of these small roles to be the right players for that. But they still have two of the top ten players in the world, and they're probably possibly the only team that does. And the stuff that they need from the other guys is so manageable that if we were playing this game, you know, even at full strength today, I wouldn't believe in it. But if I'm like, if I'm saying who could get there, I think they could. My tier two is ginormous. Uh, because I think it reflects the parity of the league and how it really is going to be about matchups, mm-hmm. which that was a prior for me coming into the season, and it's kind of been validated, so I'm concerned, I'm concerned about confirmation bias. Like, are you just seeing what you want to see? Because uh, that's how I prefer the league to be. It's just like a high level of, you know what? It just depends on who you, who you play and how they match up. But my tier two... Um, you had the Lakers, the Heat, the Warriors, the Bucks. Who else in that? That's it. It was just those four. Okay. All right. So I got Warriors and Bucks one. I have the Nets in tier two. I'm not that crazy. Like the Nets are obviously like, the, I think if the Warriors and Nets play to their absolute capacity, I would probably cap that at like Warriors minus three on a neutral court. Warriors minus maybe five and a half to six um, at home. If we look at this from a, like who else is in there? Uh, I have the Nets. I have the Sixers, the Heat, the Lakers, the Suns the Nuggets, and the Jazz. I have all of those teams up at that level. That is where I think all those teams are. Um, I do believe that if they play their best and the Warriors or Bucks do not play their best, that those teams can win a game, a title, a Game 7, whatever. Um, It's interesting to me that these teams are all here. I want to talk to you about the Jazz Mm-hmm. In particular, because as a long time, like I have a Jazz to win 62 plus games in the regular season ticket. Uh, I have Jazz to win the number one seed in the West. I have their over. Like I love the regular season predictions, but the the thing has been like can't wait to fade them in the playoffs, which I did versus the Clippers and won. Um, now they're going to say that they were injured. Clippers didn't have Kawhi Leonard. Don't really care. Uh, I will say I like what I'm seeing from them in terms of the offense because they're taking they're doing a little bit of what Milwaukee did last year, taking a little bit of a step back in the regular season don't always just run your offense get the opponent in rotation and hit a corner three work on a little bit of one-on-one stuff work on a little bit of forcing the issue against you know man defense and pressuring them in ways to find out what you can and can't do what you can and can't go to don't always rely on getting teams in rotation the defense is going to be solid they're gonna have to fit like they need rudy gay back in order to evaluate whether or not they can play a different scheme but as i still find gobert to be a very weak point versus switch but I think that they're doing the right thing, and I've ticked up their ceiling a little bit. Like, I honestly would probably have the Jazz in a tier below before before this season, as good as they are in so many fundamental parts of the game because of their inability to match up, but they're working on that. Um, the Nuggets, to me, I, I just think, that I, look, I have a title bet on them as well as the Warriors. I, I think that they are just like, they're going to cruise through the season, no one's going to pay attention to them, and they're going to be absolutely terrifying. Um, Jokic is already proving that he's going to be in that MVP conversation again they're yep. still and I, I as somebody that has watched their defense wax and wane and they've been top 10 I've been like oh, I don't know about this this is a legitimately physical aggressive get in your face make you feel them defensive team a lot of that is because because of the rule changes they're allowed to foul a lot more I'm not going to deny that 
but it helps them. Jokic's on, at rim defense has been incredible this season. Um, I never thought he would be this good. Adam Mares once told me that he thought he could be as good as Marcus All, and I laughed at him. And now I don't think he's as good as Marcus All was in his prime. But the no, conversation is no longer laughable. That, that's how good Jokic has been at the rim. So I think Denver's absolutely in that conversation. Miami, it's really just about like the formula is for playoffs is pretty good because it's all right. We're gonna. It's very much like the 2020 Lakers. We're gonna play amazing swarming defense. We're gonna force turnovers. We're gonna be killer in transition. We're gonna kill you with loose ball, broken play threes from Duncan Robinson. Kyle Lowry's gonna do a bunch of stuff, and then Jimmy Butler will just Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero in the in the half court will do enough. Um, I don't believe in it over the course of a series. Like this is a good thing to put with the Heat. I don't think the Heat can hit that ceiling enough times to win a conference finals because of the half court offense that you mentioned. But they have to be at least be in this conversation. Um, Lakers, I'm still very much on the fence on. Just I'm at the point with the Lakers where I think um, I want to see how this team looks. Not even in April. I want to see how they look in before the All-Star break and coming out. That's what I want to see. I want to see if they get adjusted to Russ, what they look like with LeBron, what they look like when they're really kind of gearing down. Because they're still figuring out the rotation. They've got a lot of guys out, and they're just kind of making do right now. I want to see what this version is going to look like as they evolve. Um, the Suns I pretty much just have here out of respect for what they accomplished last year, and they're still at the top of the standings. I have a lot of questions about the Suns, but I'm going to go ahead and give them the benefit of the doubt. Which of those teams do you want to debate first? There aren't, there aren't a ton that I want to necessarily debate. I'm in firm agreement with you on the Nuggets, actually. I think that they are a sleeping giant, and I had a, a thought earlier this week about the idea that, oh, it'd be really fun if Denver and Miami was the NBA Finals, given what happened right. this week. Oh, yeah. But here's my thing. I think Denver's more likely to make the NBA Finals than Miami, Ooh. knowing what right. we know. And, and that's, you know, yes, does that presume that Jamal Murray is some semblance of 85 90% before then? Yes. Because they're, they're, otherwise it's otherwise it's too counting. But I, I I agree with you that their defense, you know, their defense is intriguing. And part of why Jokic is so tantalizing to me is that he's. I I would probably make the argument, and I know a lot of people would say would say Durant, but he might be the most unguardable offensive player in the NBA right now. Like we've seen. Like, I mean, that series that when he when the Lakers faced it, like they weren't stopping Jokic. <laughs> they that wasn't that wasn't what happened in that series. And also, Jokic is such a wonderful clutch offensive player because it's really hard. He's so, so tall and talented, and and can pass and everything else like that. You're going to get a good shot, which is really which is really valuable. Um, so I'm I'm on board there. Uh, it would see, and so Phoenix. I'm kind of in a similar mode with you, and I originally I toyed with having them. I never really toyed with having them a tear down, but I was just like, it's. I don't know if it's that it's kind of old hat now and you're just kind of it's, they're kind of like the jazz in the sense of like, OK, I know what this is. I know what it can be. And what I'm waiting for is something to defy my expectations. And yeah. so far with the Suns, positively or negatively, that hasn't happened yet. So I haven't seen like a big step from anybody defensively or offensively like, oh, this is a challenge. This is a problem. It's uh, so interesting with them just because like I, I'm I look at their record and I'm just like, they're not a seven and three team. Like I've watched this squad. They're not, but yet there they are, seven and three. And I will say, like, they're substantially more real than the seven and four Mavericks. Yeah. But, um, and, you know, there's a number of ways to evaluate that. I don't know. I just, I continue with the Suns to be very much in the mindset of so much went right for them last year for them to be truly, like, scary. They don't feel scary to me yet. Like, the rest of those teams, it's like, man, you... 
you better be good. You bet you better be good on the night that you play them or you're going to be in real trouble. Um, well, and the the other thing about the Suns that's so fascinating is like Suns versus Jazz is this duality where the Suns can play reasonably they can play very well against a lot of different things. And there isn't one thing that's just like the killer the killer against them. But I also don't know that there is that they have that gear where it's just like, oh, crap, we like there's nothing we can do. And so it's it's sort of like if you want to think about like a like a fighting video game where it's like the person who the person who can do well if you don't know who your opponent is playing. But they're also like there are certain things that are just like that's just not quite there. Like I don't have the right analogy necessarily for them. But that's kind of how I am, where it's like, they, yeah. don't, they don't move me other than that. And also, like, the Suns, it's gotten, I mean, the Bucks' good fortune has been a part of their story. And it, and it should be, you know, like, they, you know, they the Nets had two of their three best players injured. And then they faced the Hawks because various reasons, and the Hawks weren't at that caliber, even though Giannis, you know, got hurt and was able to come back in that series. The Suns got really fortunate, too. I mean, Davis, yeah. Davis got hurt. Then they faced two shorthanded teams in the next two rounds, and then they made the finals and they lost. And that isn't to say the Suns didn't deserve their place. That isn't to say that the Suns are a bad team or anything like that. But if it's like, are they a regular conference finalist? Like, I'm not necessarily there. So much of it for me with Utah, and this is like highly controversial, is just... I, I don't know if they're going to ever feel confident enough to make the move that they need to. If you like, if you were to bench Rudy Gobert late in a game, there would be absolute like Rudy would be losing his mind and be really and be fuming. Well, but here's here's the other part of that. Like I agree with you that that he would be fuming, but do they have the personnel for it to work defensively without it? Like you you have to like you can sideline that center, but you have to be able to actually stop some dribble penetration in order to make it work. Sure, I mean that's kind of the question, right? Is like if you if you were to go small ball and switch all, would they just get torched by guys getting pat like because that's the that is the jazz uh, fan argument and i think they're right i think they're right that this team has struggled on the perimeter i still have a little bit of confidence in the ability of if you're playing switch to be able to press a little bit more and play to your strengths and not necessarily have to worry about like how are you going to navigate this that or the other and and you know trying to get over the screen versus just switching it i i still have a little bit of this can work and it's not about rudy being bad because i want to make this very clear if they face certain teams you have to have gobert because you need to be able to punish certain teams that can't play again like if a team struggles with drop you need and, and then you're in real trouble versus the jazz right so all of these kind of things are like you need the option this is a, what it's about is it's it's just about do you have the mechanisms necessary to play both ways and that to me is a big component maybe you can just switch with rudy and i'll be fine but i'll just say this if they can't if they cannot go to switch as a viable option they cannot hit the ceiling that they need to to win a title i think they can i'm just not sure if they can do that with gobert yeah, it's a real challenge. And before, but like at the start of last season, my standard for for the Jazz was basically if if the offense shows real signs of growth, then I'll I'll believe in them as a different level of of contender. And then what last year's playoffs reminded me is like, oh yeah, they also have this like the de- the defensive limitation is there. We always knew it was there, but it's a little bit more pressing. And so now it's kind of like you need to check both boxes. And like I, I agree with you, there have been some real some real positives offensively. Mike Conley has had a really nice start to the year, which I think has you know ha- has not necessarily in all corners generated enough like appreciation. I also love Mike Conley as you do too. Um, the, so I have two other teams. So your tier two kind of combines my tier two and my tier three. 
Um, I have two other teams in the three. I trust them less than this, that, but are in there. And it's interesting because for various reasons, I understand why you wouldn't. And that's the Celtics and the Bulls. Interesting. So the Celtics, it's... I I believe in their the capability of their defense. I think that and and my, I've been a Robert Williams believer for a couple of years. I think that they have the personality. Going back to that Miami game, everyone supports like okay, they can make life hard on a variety of different teams. Offensively, yes, I have major concerns, but I also believe that if my as I mentioned in the intro, my thought on this is that we're playing the games in April, and a lot of the issues that I have with them offensively are things that I expect to be corrected in time. Like Jason Tatum is not going to be this terrible for the whole year. It just, it's, it's impractical and they'll have, you know, and like Jalen, I think has been very good overall. So, and he'll be, you know, he's dealing with his hamstring thing right now, but he'll be fine. And also something I like about the Celtics is that they have enough guys that I think are interesting that Ime Udoka and Brad Stevens can kind of sift through this rotation over the next five months and find enough stuff that works. Like, you know, do I believe in Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard and Lankford and Neesmith every day? No. But do I think they can get to a eight-man rotation that is capable on both ends of the floor? Yeah, I do. Man. Yeah, I think here, here's here's my big thing with the Bulls is if you're playing one game, playing to your ceiling, right? If the Bulls play their absolute best brand of basketball, I think that they scrape that that top two ceiling. I don't think that they're quite there because I do think that they are solvable to a degree. Like if you're building a game plan, a lot of it's going to be, look, we got to shut down DeMar as a passer. We're going to live with him cooking us from the mid range. He's going to be good in the mid range. Uh, We're going to make things hard on Vooch and we're going to attack them consistently and drop coverage because they can't play anything else. They can't play anything else. That to me is like where this team falls apart in a playoff context. Like I remember like I was, I was super, super high. I was as high on the bulls as anybody coming into preseason Uh, have loved this start for all my tickets. It's been wonderful. I think Zach Levine is a certified superstar. I want to see him in the playoff context. I think he can have the type of just incredible games that fill up sports center and, and go wild on Twitter and YouTube However, if they're faced with the with needing to execute against a team like Denver or Utah or the Suns or the Heat or even quite honestly the Lakers at full strength when you've got LeBron, you know, do they have the ability to rise to that challenge? Can they execute defensively well enough and can this is a large part of it too. When their offense goes sideways, it's oftentimes because they just get a little frenzied and they don't like they don't have the kind of composure. DeRozan helps so much with this. And that's why DeMar has been really valuable to them. Like he's extremely composed offensively as a veteran of his stature, you would expect. But they can get a little haphazard. And in those little stretches, that can kill you against teams at their ceiling. So I agree with you. Boston, quite honestly, here's the deal. If you tell me Boston trades Marcus Smart sometime before the deadline and you do not tell me what they get back for it, I will still probably agree with you that they belong in, in the upper tier. Um, it is not that I don't think Marcus Smart is excellent. I've been a Marcus Smart guy since Oklahoma State. I think he's phenomenal. I think he helps in a lot of ways. I think the chemistry with him and the Jays is a little bit rotten. And I think that if you read the postgame quotes, not just the one that he said about them needing to pass the ball, I'm talking about like a couple of years of this. Smart's a divisive, fiery guy. 
And that over time, and you know this from covering the Warriors, over time that could be abrasive. Well, right? and and it's it's different when collectively, you know, the Celtics have reached levels of success, the Mid Eastern Conference Finals, and everything else. But yep. like a lot, other than very specific moments, Marcus Smart hasn't been as big a part of that success as Draymond Green has been. Right. And the other element of it is that Marcus Smart, especially if they're going to more of a switching scheme. Yes, his defensive versatility is is useful and important, but part of the benefit of switching is that you can do it with worse defenders and you could theoretically get somebody who's a better shooter, somebody who, you know, like who can do who can do a little bit more off the dribble or who can just fill who can check a couple of boxes. So basically the idea is that the box Marcus Smart checks most is less important and some of the ones he leaves unchecked are more important. And I, I think that's fair. And then when you get into the personality elements that are there and everything else i i i think that makes a lot of sense i don't know if it's going to happen i wonder how transitioning your head coach to your personnel decision maker changes that because i I mean smart i think he's a you know kind of the the guy that coaches either love or hate and so it's so fun to have his former coach as his as the gm deciding this but i like I could see Stevens being like, no, he's my guy. He's an important like check on these players and need to have him in the locker room. But I could also see as being like, oh yeah, like I'm his his voice is not necessarily bringing as as it needs to. Um, that's it's a really interesting point. Yeah, so I think these two teams like they actually comprise um, two of the four teams in my tier three. Okay, which are along with the Hawks and the Clippers. So the Clippers, I stated this up front, I don't expect Kawhi back. Kawhi said in his preseason press conference that one reason that he signed the extension now was so that he wouldn't worry about free agency because he wants to try and come back. I'm open to being wrong about this. This is kind of how I I have calculated this is, all right, he gets hurt in May, June, June, June. He gets hurt in June. Ten months puts him at May or at April in the earliest. Why do you bring him back for two weeks before the playoffs begin? That doesn't make any sense. Why does Kawhi Leonard rush back from a leg injury when that has not been the way that he has approached his injury career so far? I don't blame him for such. He gets to make those decisions. That's probably the best thing for him long term. Like This is not a criticism. This is Kawhi Leonard has taken a proactively cautious approach with his health. That is how he has approached it is he has gotten ahead of things and said, you know, and been, and been very cautious with his health to make sure that he can play for a variety of reasons. Um, and so I am evaluating the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard versus the Nuggets who I'm evaluating with Jamal Murray, because I have a high level of confidence that Jamal Murray will be back sometime in February, which gives them a full two months before the playoffs begin. Um, so I always I, said him so I'll, I'll echo you on the Clippers and another Kind of you, you laid out the timeline really well. And another part of that equation for me is that I could see it being a little bit different. And with Kawhi, less so than a lot of other players. If the Clippers were in a really good position, like let's say they got a top two seed. And you're like, okay, and maybe they got a little bit of a favorable bracket. So, or it's looking preliminarily that way. And so Kawhi can say, we're cooking with gas. Like, even if I have to ease into this a little bit, like we have a real shot of winning the title. And not just the, we're so good if we can be healthy in it. Like, like we have a path. Like, we have a path to it. And while the Clippers have been strong to start the year, I mean, I picked their over and all, the, and they're, you know, they're, they had another win against the Butlerless Heat on Thursday. I don't see them as that kind of team. I don't, I don't think that they're going to have like a top two, top three seed going into the last couple weeks of the season. I think they can be kind of, they can be 
feistier than expected, but doing that. And, and so then, yeah, if we're, if I'm thinking of this as a Kawhi list Clippers, I have them in this, my tier four is, seems like pretty analogous to your tier three. I called it feistier in the mix. And the way I kind of defined terms there was sort of like you did before with the, you were talking about it with the, uh, the Nets and the Warriors, where it's like, okay, if you put these teams into a series or like a little batch with the with the teams above them, which the you know that the tier above, if they won a series, I would be surprised but not floored. So it's like they have a chance. And yeah, I probably wouldn't expect them to beat the teams in tiers above that, but they could do that. And so mine is actually bigger than yours. And again, this is a ceiling-based argument, not necessarily like, I think these teams are all really good. It's like, okay, I could see them, if things go well, I could see them putting a charge into somebody. And so you had the Hawks and the Clippers. I have both of them in here. And then I already have the other two above. But then I, I have another bunch of teams here. And so on that logic, and that includes the Knicks, it includes the Mavericks, it includes the Portland Trailblazers, and then the two that I would say are probably the most outliery here. But I'm I will I'm ready to explain them if I need to. The Memphis Grizzlies and the Indiana Pacers, and part of it with the Pacers is this idea that I had a bias. I will admit this. Like I had a shift for teams that haven't had a chance to put it together. I'm like I don't know if it's that idea that it's like mystery is intriguing or the idea of like well TJ Warren hasn't played maybe this all fits together better. I I would say that I have been mostly I've been more discouraged than encouraged by their start overall, but they haven't had their best players. They've also basically never had even the players that are supposed to be healthy healthy at the same time. And then for the Grizzlies, I mean, their offense has been I would say broadly kind of on the higher end of what I hoped for this year. And their defense has been mostly bad. But do I think they can solve the defensive problems? Yeah, probably. So I don't mind having Memphis here. I think part of it is Memphis, when they're sensational, they're electric. Yeah. I mean, they are like you can just feel the buzz, even in visiting arenas where teams are like like fans are like, oh, my God, what did John Morant just do? Like he has that electric quality. And I think that any team that honestly went to Golden State and won a play in game like they deserve a lot of they, they deserve recognition. For well, and went into went into Chase Center and is the one in the 10 and one. Right. And so they are, I think they're absolutely in that conversation. Um, the biggest one actually that I would take issue with of all of these is the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, that's, that's, the that's that fair. That's take the biggest <laughs> issue with. Um, look, Luka can play better and that's fine. There's no reason to believe that the defensive start is going to hold and we're already starting to see it slip. The eye test and the metrics are starting to align on the Mavericks. The only thing that's not in line is their win, is their record. Uh, this team is in trouble and I can point to almost all of it being exactly what we were concerned about. <laughs> Those of us that were concerned with the Jason Kidd hire, you know, we got pushback. Like, you don't know, like give it a chance, blah, blah, all these kind of things. This has been a very affirming start where they're winning games, but you can watch them and everyone is able to watch them and just go like, Oh boy, this, this is not good. Like this doesn't make any sense. What, what are they, what are they doing? Why is this look this way? And you know, there are counter arguments in terms of, well, you said they were going to shoot threes and they're shooting a bunch of threes. Yeah, but they're not shooting good threes. And if it sounds like I'm just like adding on, and moving the goalposts no like a team that just runs up and shoots a bunch of threes without any sort of real regard for things is called the rockets like i don't want you know that doesn't impress me and so for me i can't believe that the mavericks on their best day even with a phenomenal luka that a good performance for most of the teams above which is shocking like the mavericks should not be below the bulls to me that should not be a thing you know they shouldn't be below a lot of these other teams but yeah i, I mean they are like on that on that note so i 
I, I get I get where you're coming from. The the, the part that's uh, you know you hold on to your priors, and for me is that I thought that the healthy Clippers were the best team in the Western Conference last year. The Mavericks took the healthy Clippers to the brink, and so yeah, you, it, it's hard to argue in terms of like who had. The, and you're not going to argue that they had like the best performance in the Western Conference playoffs. They got knocked out in the first round, but. The idea that they can, like, if I if the Mavericks were playing the Bulls, but you coaching is a huge part of it. And you brought up the threes. I think that's a, a useful place for it. But the other part is just the overall quality of shots that they're getting, partially due to the, the jacked-up spacing because they're playing playing more shooting limited lineups. So, yeah, Porzingis hasn't been fully healthy. But also, I mean, you you brought up some of the some of the wins where you've been a little where it's been a little queasy. I mean, for me, the the win they had against San Antonio was one of those where it's like they won that game, and I walked away feeling so much worse about the Mavericks. Yeah. And then the other one for me was that their their first game that lost the Hawks. I'm like, oh, they're just they just can't do anything right, and they like they got worked in that game, and and they've only lost three cents. I mean that that you you do acknowledge that, but it's it's a concern, and and also for. Dallas, it's not only the, you know, like the, the, they have the, they're outperforming their point differential by the most in the league by a pretty sizable margin. It's them and incidentally Memphis, who we just discussed, and OKC, because OKC early in seasons appears that they're just destined to do this. But the other part of it is just like, it's not only the point differential, because that's only a part of the story. It's just like the way they played and what the likelihood of success now. But I think, I think Luca is, is that level of player where he can he can elevate this to the yeah you brought up the Mavericks and the Bulls like that for me I do have them in different tiers but it's I I I'm a little bit shaky about that what there are two other teams in this tier and I want to talk about both of them with you um because you didn't have the Knicks in the same tier as the Hawks and I I'm interested in in that in that split yeah so I think a lot of this is. Um, I'm not ready to just like, do I, when I watch the Hawks, do I look at them and go like, yeah, this is just kind of who they are. And I go, no, like they just look, you know, the fact that Trey Young has already kind of called them out for being bored, I think is indicative of where they are. Um, I think there's a number of things that, that they've faced. Uh, the officiating obviously has bothered Trey and that does lower their ceiling, you know? Sure. Do I think Trey can adjust? Yeah. I, I have a certain level of confidence that this team will look better. As I think this team got off to a rough start. Having an early West Coast road trip, I think, is not great for them. Like, if you start off and you're not playing awesome and then you go on a West Coast road trip, it's like, that's that's not ideal. Um, the Knicks, on the other hand, I think we're starting to find out. Like, they had the great start. Bing Bong was awesome. Unfortunately, we're starting to see, like, oh, no. Um, Kemba Walker splits are disastrous. The defense has regressed the way that people were expecting it to last year. Uh, they're giving up a bad shot profile. I think the offense is largely sustainable. I think they got weapons. You know, I love I love the way Barrett's played this year. I love the way Randall's played this year. But I think ultimately they're really reliant on a bench unit right now, and that's always I think an issue of concern. Um, the Hawks, if they play to their potential, I think are a magnitude better than New York because I don't think that New York is going to be as good as they were last year. And the Hawks, I think, are basically the same team that they were last year with a different officiating set. So I don't have any real reason to downgrade the Hawks significantly, even with a tough start. Um, with the Knicks, you can look at the defense and go like, oh, this could this could head in some concerning ways, especially with how the starters are looking and, and you know, the Kemal Walker situation, which is bumming me out. I love him. Um, I do want to want to mention uh, the Knicks are in my tier four, along with the Mavericks and the Grizzlies. Like I do have the Mavericks in that tier. I don't think the Mavericks belong any higher, but I think that the Mavericks are fine going with the Grizzlies because the Grizzlies defense is trash and Dylan Brooks won't help it that much. Um, my tier four, actually, I have the Mavericks, the Knicks, the Grizzlies, 
Then I also have in this tier the Wizards, the Cavs, the Raptors, and the Pacers. You mentioned the Pacers. I'm with you on this team. Every sort of indication that I have is that this team should be substantially better than it has been. Like, it just it just should be better. Like, I have the Pacers uh, power-rated 18th, and they're right above the Blazers, they're above the Mavericks, they're above the Raptors. This team should be better than it has been. I think they're starting to turn the corner. That win over the Jazz was a really promising one um, off the heels of a really terrible loss to the Nuggets without Jokic, but that was a bad motivational spot. Indy's been hit with, you know, Malcolm Brogdon's been out, or Karis LeVert was out. You talked about them not being fully healthy. I still want to see them with TJ Warren. I don't know if it's going to happen at this point. It's been so long with TJ, but I, I still think that he's maybe the missing piece for what they what they need and can get them past it. I do wonder if it's time to break up Turner and, and Sabonis finally. Um, and then finally, you know, I mentioned the Wizards. I, I think this team is just solid. I just think that they, they are really tough and gritty. I think the Cavs are really tough and gritty, and there's some smart stuff that they're doing. Um, I think both of those teams are going to hang in the playoff discussion. I don't think either of those, those teams is paper tigers. I lean actually a little bit more towards the Cavs after I did a deep dive than the Wizards, but I still think the Wizards will be very, very solid. And honestly, between these teams, I'd rather take the solid ceiling of the Wizards that's lower than the very ephemeral, can't ever quite grasp it, conceptual ceiling of the Mavericks. Yeah, I, I, for me, I, I just think I believe in Dallas's offense a little bit more. Like, I, I understand yeah. where you're coming from, especially with the misgivings that we, that we share on, on Kid and the offense and the parts of the Mavericks that won't improve. Like, that is a very real concern. And I like the, so the teams that you mentioned. Originally, I had the Raptors, Wizards, and Cavs in the same tier, and then I just realized I trusted them a little bit less at this moment in time. And I'm open to changing on all that. And like, think about, I I should have brought this up with the Bulls. Like the Bulls being in my tier three is a massive victory for them considering where I had them before. The Cavs being in my tier five is an even bigger victory for them because I thought, I thought they were, were over and, and I thought they were a little bit overhyped. I didn't believe that their, their defense was going to do it. And I am at the point now where I am, they're just, they're not an elite team. They're not a great team, but they are a solid, good team. And that will be challenge, challenging with Sexton out. They're going to have to find this in a little bit different ways. But the way they compete defensively, the you know some of the the way that they can make shots harder, and the they're defending without fouling, which I absolutely love. And they're finding it a little bit offensively. I've been I'm ha- I'm positive on Darius Garland so far this year. Some of the bench units have been a little bit more intriguing than I expected. So I'm I'm mostly there. I'm not all the way there. I think the best way to describe the Cavs is it's good process, even if you can't count on the results. Sure. Like, that's what I feel like. I think J.B. Bickerstaff has done a great job this year. Like, they're the second, they they score the second most points in the league off of cuts, which is a good indicator that your offense is just generating good stuff. Like, you're just finding ways to hurt the defense and get them to shape to, to what you're doing than what they want. Um, I have to ask you this question, Danny, and I need your help. I need you. I very much need help with this. Please help me. What in God's name are the Raptors? What What is this team? Oh, I can help you with that. They They lose... They go one and one, and then they are, and then they go. They win five, and then they lose three. I, every single time I turn around, and I'm like, I don't think this team is good. They rattle off a win, and then they lose. And I mean, last night was no Embiid. I get it, um, but still a very quality win versus one of the teams that's been the best in the league in the Sixers. What help me understand the Raptors, Danny? The Raptors are a nasty defense and a terrible half court offense. 
So the way that combination works is if they can get enough stops, if they can get enough turnovers and enough offensive rebounds to withstand their bad half-court offense, they can win games and they can win games against almost anybody. But it's, I use the term feedback loops all the time. Well, you brought up Seth Partnow before. That's something that he and I talked about a lot together, is that when that wheel turns the other way, they can lose to anybody because if the other team is getting a little bit more in transition, Toronto gets back reasonably well. But if they can get stuff in transition... Or if they just, like, because Toronto just can't, they just can't generate good looks when the other team's defense is set. And that is not a failure of Nick Nurse. That is not a failure of any individual player. They just aren't good at that. And I mean, OG has taken some real strides. Van Vliet is, you know, he, he, he's just not that guy. And I, I don't, I don't think that's, you know, that he's, he's a good player. He was an important part of their championship team. He's been a part of it. I think that he could be a, a really impactful player, either on a future iteration of the Raptors or theoretically through a trade. But that for me, like it was, it was funny. The, uh, the game that they had against the, the first one against the Celtics, which they won, kind of crystallized it in the second one they had reminded me of it too where it's like it's just can they make that happen so toronto this year 26th in half court offense first in the um, the amount of half court offense they play when first means you play the least because you don't want to play in half court offense like for me i think that's a lot of the story it's just like they they aren't good at that they aren't going to be good at that and you know asking pascal siakam maybe it helps a little bit probably not too much yeah you know on, on clay in the glass they're 10th in uh half court defense which is good. And you can probably look at this and go like, well, look, Orlando's ninth. Do you think Orlando's going to have a better defense in the half court than Toronto? Is Chicago? Well, really? I, I will say I will say Orlando being there when you consider that who a lot of us think of as their best defensive player has not played a second for them. Pretty impressive. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, in general, I just wind up being like I look at this this Raptors team and I'm always kind of like, Ugh. like Scotty Barnes is really impressive. And Fred Van Vliet's still that dude. But I don't know. I'm like one of the few people I think that isn't like I think OG Ananobi has is one of those NBA Twitter guys that I think the the, the analyst wonks love what he brings for multiple reasons. The skill set is there. I'm just kind of always like he's a guy, and that's that's good that he's a guy. But I I, I really hate I I just think that their bench unit is very poor. I don't like anybody on their bench unit. Um, Raptors fans are already getting frustrated with Precious. I don't know. I'm still waiting to see which way this goes and how Masai is going to react because I can't get it. It swings for me weekly between this is just a, I, I have to abandon my priors. This is a really good team. They've proven it. And watching them get, you know, annihilated and being like, no, like they don't have the talent. They just do not have the guys to go where they want to go. I'm, I'm still very lost on the Raptors. It's justifiable. And with, with OG, it's fun to see him have more latitude and, you know, kick up that role. Have I been, you know, and whether it's looked good or not has depended so much on the game. Like there were that, there were, I think it was that Pacers one where he had 17 points in the first quarter. And you're like, oh my God, like maybe he's actually putting, maybe he is the next Jalen Brown. But then that hasn't been, you know, that hasn't been a whole part of the story. And some of it is, you know, the overall ecosystem is challenging. But what's been difficult for me, and I apologize, like I'm in various different spaces. I've mentioned this a fair number of times and I apologize to Raptors fans, but hey, you won a championship a couple of years ago. You don't get to complain. Basically, every single Raptor, I would enjoy watching more on a different team where they were like one of they weren't as duplicative. So, for example, like if Fred, if you could transport Fred Van Vliet to the Lakers, I would just be like, oh, yeah, like all about it. The defense that he provides and like it was so much fun. 
Uh, I can't remember which of the Raptors games I was watching. Oh, it was one of the ones against the Celtics. Like, they just had him guarding Jason Tatum, and it was awesome. Like, you know, just, you know, when they did switches and just like, no problem with it, and he did a good job. Reminded me that Brad Stevens should have gone to that more instead of ISOing against OG and Siakam on every play in that series last year. Anyway, I'll let that, I'll let that slide. But that, you know, so, but it's the same story. Like, I, I've been impressed with Scotty Barnes and, and OG and at times Gary Trent Jr. I'm still kind of working through my feelings on him. Um, I was, I think I was too high on him too young. And now I'm just kind of like, eh. And so I have to decide that. And Precious, it, he, it's so weird that, like, he gets more latitude, I would argue, when I, and I don't watch the Raptors as much as Raptors aficionados, but I watch them a lot. It's crazy to me how much latitude he gets. It's kind of like, oh, well, he's the next Bam Adebayo, except that I haven't seen those, like, every once in a while you see a little bit of a flash, but it's only like a partial one. Whereas with Bam, I remember going back to that summer league, I think that was his first or his second year, and you're like, oh, he can do this. I have, I've, I think they're giving it Precious the latitude like he can do it, but I haven't seen that he can yet. Oh, one other note on, on Achua. I mean, I hadn't, I, I was just looking through the team stats as we were talking. I didn't realize he's at 38% true shooting on the year. Whew. That, for a true center, like, that feels impossible. Yeah, part of it is that he's not, he takes a couple threes and he never makes them. But, hey, he's shooting 44% around the basket. How? How? Yikes. I think a lot of it, though, is like I don't necessarily know that their wings can generate a lot of pressure to open stuff up. Right. I think he misses them when he gets an opportunity, but yeah. they don't have – I don't think they have an elite uh, threat on the perimeter to put pressure on the defense to open things up either. And it feels like a lot of time it's like they get, Achua winds up guarded on a dump off to try and finish over contact, and that's not where I want him. Yeah, Did I, you say that you have the Blazers in that group above? In that tier? Yeah, the feisty group. I do. Really? <laughs> really? I'm surprised. Uh, I, I mean – Lillard will play better. I, I believe I believe that their offense is it's not like that crazy Nets level. And then defensively, they're not great and they're probably not going to be, but can they be okay? Maybe. I mean a lot of this I think with the Blazers is thank God that the season is so long that they can't really implode because <laughs> like this is a lot of it is yeah. I, I mentioned this to, to somebody the other day. I said, you want to know where the Blazers are at? Um, they benched Nurkic for Larry Nance Jr. in the fourth quarter the other night, and they've already started dropping their new scheme of playing at the level because it was so bad and gone back to drop, which is already, we know, a terrible scheme for them. Like, there is no way to construct a good defense with Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and use of Nurkic as your, as your three-man combo center and guards. Like, you cannot do it. It is not about Nurkic. Nurkic would be a fine drop defender if he had guards that could get over the screen and really combat him. Like, you give Yusuf Nurkic Matisse Teibel, and his defensive numbers are going to look incredible. Uh, you give Yusuf Nurkic um, even, like, standard NBA guards for Van Vliet, and his numbers are probably going to look awesome. With Dame, if you give him a super switchable ultra defender like Draymond Green, guess what? Dame's defensive numbers are probably going to look not great, but probably better. They're going to look pretty good. But this combination where Dame can't get over screens, CJ can't get over screens, uh, Nurkic has to drop because he can't play up at the level it creates this situation that is just untenable um to oh, me so, there's a lot of red flags yeah I, I think you're totally right and there are so many points of failure and you can't really remove those because they're good basketball players and they're essential to making the offense flow i wanted to throw an idea by you i was actually i was thinking about this the other day and i remembered that we were recording and i smiled they the trades didn't happen at the same time but the general package for Robert Covington and Aaron Gordon was pretty similar. And I was thinking that part of why Gordon has been has been impressive to me defensively is that he's been, 
you know, more as like a, a wing isolation defender. I think he's done better. And what I realized was it wasn't necessarily an option for O'Shea at the time, but given kind of what they want to do, Gordon would be such a better fit defensively for them than Covington. I think that's probably true. I think it's, I think a lot of this is just like Cubs, the injuries for Cubs has, have made him drop off considerably. Well, um, and he's also like, he's a team defender, but it's kind of hard for a team defender to work within their ecosystem. Like there's only yeah, so much it, he can do. Yeah. And I think a lot of it too is like, uh, Cub is a very, he's, he's a technique defender. Does that make sense? Yes. Versus I'll, I'll say this for, for Gordon watching him every night with the Nuggets. Like he's extremely physical. Like He's just, he's able to absorb contact to challenge at the rim. Like his ability to just, he wears you down. And even if you score on him, you can tell the guys are like, they're very proud of themselves when they score on Aaron Gordon because that was a lot of work. And with Covington, it feels very much more like, okay, he was in the right spot at the right time. He's got disruptive hands, but the level of physicality is just wildly different in part because Gordon's younger and just more athletic. Like he's just, he's just able to, he's just a, a stronger body. He's played so physical this season. His verticality has been almost perfect in a lot of situations. He, he's been a terrific defender this year for Denver. So I think we're, we're in pretty much, I, yeah, we can, I think we can save, we can, I mean, the wizards are interesting, but we'll, you know, we'll probably talk a, a fair amount about them on the next year. They're, they're solid. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think it's solid. And, they're, they're, they're and, solid. and a point that I, so I was hot, relatively high in the Wizards. You know, I've been low on Westbrook for years, so that helped. But uh, I thought I liked the personnel that they got. I generally, if a if a coach has never coached in the NBA, NBA before, I treat them as a blank slate because we haven't gotten to see them, you know, really run a scheme or anything like that. I will acknowledge that I didn't consider moving from Scotty Brooks to a blank slate who now early returns for me on West Sunset have been meaningfully positive. Like I, which is weird because I, I obsess about the value of coaching. I, when I was higher on them, I didn't even think about it from that perspective. It was more just like, I like their personnel. I like their depth. Yeah, uh, it's been his impact is is very evident. You can see also that he's taking a lot of stuff from Denver. They're running they're running a lot of handoff action offensively, and I think that that actually helps to get their guys downhill and put their bigs in a good situation. Like the bigs are in a in a really good spot where they get to make decisions. If the team faints and and overcommits to the guard coming around on the on the DHO, they're attacking with either Kuzma or, or Trez. Trez has been terrific for them. You know, I, I'm a been I'm a lifelong Scotty Brooks defender. I just think that in large part where Brooks was at last year was he looked at the personnel and was like, We're just gonna have to commit to offense. We're just gonna have to play offense all the time. And the trade put Wes Unseld in, in ultimately a really good position where he's able to play a balanced offensive system. Like they're doing this and Beal has been terrible. Like that's kind of the counter for the Hawks and the Blazers. Like Dame has struggled, so no wonder the Blazers haven't been good. And Trey Young has struggled, so no wonder the Hawks haven't been impressive. But the Wizards ha- are at this spot where they're at, and Bradley Beal has been awful. And that makes you wonder, you know, look, if they're able to, this, to me, it's about health. These teams that are deep with veterans that don't stand out, but everyone contributes, the idea is that they have better depth. And so they can kind of compensate. That's not how it goes. Like they have a very strict ecosystem right now. And they're actually not that healthy. They get Thomas Bryant back if they don't trade him. They might get um, you know, Rui Hachimura coming back. Like they can get healthier, but they do need certain key players, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, KCP, Bradley Beal. Those four guys need to be healthy for what the model that they've built to work. If they get injured, it's not like, well, they got other guys and those guys aren't really important. Their ecosystem needs to be it's delicate. They're a very tough team, but their ecosystem's delicate. And so that's something I'm going to be watching um, as the season goes on. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's totally fair. We each have pretty much the same teams left. I split into two groups, basically the idea of like who I don't really see a path, and then the other teams where it's like I, I described it as everything needs to go right. Is that do you have two more groups or do you have it split more? Uh, yeah, I have two more groups. My two more groups are uh, Kings, Blazers, Spurs, Wolves, and Hornets. Um, these teams are basically the best they can do is fine, in my yeah, opinion. That's a good way to put it. And then the bottom tier is Rockets, Pelicans, Thunder, Pistons, Magic, which is not even on your best day. So. Yeah, I, I, the only the only thing I'd say is that I put the healthy Pelicans in that tier with the Hornets and the Spurs and the Kings. At this point, I don't know that I can imagine a healthy a healthy Pelicans team. I'm getting pretty concerned over here about what that timeline looks like. And if they're so deep in the hole, what's the point in bringing them back? Right? Yeah. That's yeah. that. That's there's definitely something there, and like oh. I really like the way. Uh, so somebody asked Nate was, was something recently about like this. Like, what are your thoughts on the Spurs so far? And the way he described it was they're just good enough to lose close, yeah. and like I think that's about right. And I, I'm I like the Spurs. Like, and and when they get Pirtle back, I'll, I'll I'll enjoy watching them even more. But. Seven and four against the spread, by the way. Oh, that's yes. yeah. With that's a really good. That's another way to put it. Is that the, yeah. beating the spread, but not necessarily winning a ton not, of games. Yeah. Great team. Great good teams win. Great teams cover. <laughs> I want to ask you about one more team before we go. Most <laughs> of these teams are are pretty apparent. I put OKC at the bottom because of what I expect. Right, like part of this is we're saying like if they're in if they're in a one game situation, they need to win. Well, the Pelican or the Thunder are probably going to choose to lose that game, but. I, if there's no benefit to losing, the de- the the defensive numbers are are kind of promising, and Shea's insane. Like, I, is it possible this team isn't bad? I think it's possible that they could be distinctly not bad as soon as next year. I think they need two things need to happen. One, uh, a little bit more of a talent upgrade, and then the impetus to do the sifting based on who is actually good at basketball and who could be eventually good at basketball. Um, but I, I get what they're going for, and I like you. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in Shea. There was the you know the the question uh, Sam Vecini and I did a question on his on game theory about this at one point. He's like West West guard that has never made an All Star team that is most likely to make it, and he was talking about De'Aaron Fox. And I feel good now that I said no. I said job, ja, but like Shea should be in that conversation too. Yeah, I mean he's just sensational. He puts so many so many moves on all sorts of things. Um, yeah, I, the Thunder will choose not to be as good as they can be, but I think if they did choose, if they were just like, screw it, you know, let's go for it, why not? Which they, again, will not. That's the exact opposite of how I know that their their front office is geared. Um, but if they were to make that decision, I look at this, and the biggest thing I would say is I think Mark Dagonal is an underrated coach who's going to be really good either when the team gets better or when he gets another chance somewhere else. I think Mark Dagonal may be quietly like I spent some time around their G League um, system in Summer League. There's really good coaching under him. The, again, I just get back to this. A lot of this is look, talent decides a lot, and if you don't get talent, you're kind of screwed in the NBA. That's how it's that's obvious and apparent. But there are teams that if you're around them, you get a sense for how much they have their stuff together. The Thunder, even though they're in this rebuilding tank mode, they have their stuff together. They're professional. They're prepared. They know what they're supposed to do. Like I have a lot of faith in the in the Thunder organization, and the way that they play kind of reinforces that. The Thunder have a very low talent threshold. And yet every single game you go in and you go like, they know what they're doing. Like they're not, they're young guys, but they're not lost. It's not pointless. Like everything has an intention, whether they can achieve it or not. They just simply don't have the talent. It's really impressive to see how a basketball, a a sound basketball organization operates, even when it has basically consented to not having the requisite talent for success. 
I wholeheartedly agree. I've been very impressed with Dagnall and the way that, like, as you said, it's like they just need to get the talent level up. And how much latitude does Sam Presti have? I, I wonder what the ripple effects of last year are. Where if they had been a little bit worse, maybe I mean, and we'll see. Maybe maybe they end up being so thrilled with Giddy that they're not lamenting that you know could have gotten maybe like Jalen Green or, or Mobley. Like maybe maybe they're maybe they get to that point. But like I think that. Presti, even with the flattened lottery odds, understands that there's a benefit to being bad and that you also like they got he got so fortunate and did a good job. Of course, you know, they didn't draft us on Whiteside or any of these, some of these other guys that you need the cupboard to be overflowing if you want to be really confident. And it's like overflowing takes a couple of years. So I'm I'm really like how how on board is our is this ownership group? How on board are they with taking time? I, I really don't know. Because especially as you said, like they have the fundamentals to be much better very quickly. Yeah, I think the ownership group has made it like the ownership group and in, in, from what I understand, and they can change at any point. The oft, owners often do this and that results in disastrous consequences. But in general, um, the sense I've gotten is that the ownership group has basically said, look, we trust Sam Presti to do the right thing. Yeah. And he'll manage the costs and he'll cut down where he needs to. And um, they'll run a good business operation and they'll get them through the lean years. But it definitely seems like ownership has empowered him to do to enact the plan that he has, which is a very long, long term plan. Um, so I'll, I'll keep them in that bottom tier. But I will say that more so than the Pistons, the Rockets, uh, the Magic or the Pelicans, given their injury situation, uh, I do think that the Thunder operationally are a step above those teams. And quite honestly, they might be a step above some of the teams in the tier above them. Yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. I will thank you so much for taking time. Super fun as always. Love doing this with you, Danny. Anytime, man. See you soon. Thanks again to Matt for taking the time to come on. You can check out his work at the Action Network. You can also hear him on podcasts there and Locked on NBA and Locked on Nuggets. And if for some crazy reason you don't follow him on Twitter, at HP Basketball is where you can find him there. Love talking to Matt. Always find these conversations so clarifying and enjoyable. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode. That is extremely useful for Real GM Radio because it's once a week, but that time changes based on my availability and guests. So subscribing is the way to have it pop into your podcast player, whichever one that is, Spotify, Apple, whatever. You can do that. And also you can help other people find the show, leaving a rating, leaving a review in the podcast player we're choosing or word of mouth. Any of those really do help. You can also check out my other work. Nate Duncan and I are still doing Dunked On and Dunked On Prime public episodes on Sunday night slash Monday commute time and then Dunked On Prime the rest of the week and other fun things if you want to do total access like Discord chats. And then we also do Twitter spaces just about every week on Tuesday as well. I also have a couple pieces in the pipeline. I wrote one on free agency for The Athletic, and then I have a a collaborative piece coming out soon, and then I have another piece coming out. Probably both of those, either late this week, early next week, still working on the editorial timeline. So we'll see when when that rolls out. And you can check out the NBA cast, which is Nate and I calling a game on League Pass, one per week, always on Mondays. This week, it's going to be Pacers at Knicks, which should be a lot of fun. I believe that is a 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific start. So you can check all that out if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise. I want to get better at responding. I do respond sometimes, but I want to get better. But I do read everything. It's a, a thing that I do every day. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
It's not easy being the one everyone counts on to keep the facility running, no matter the weather or supply chain hiccup. But we get you, Raymond in Buffalo and Maria in Miami, Jules in Minneapolis and Stan in central Indiana, taking control of everything that's under your control. At Granger, we're here for you with experienced branch staff at over 250 locations so you get the product you're looking for. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Do it for the team. The free COVID vaccine is FDA authorized for kids five and up. Do it for your besties and the resties. It's safe for your child and can help protect their friends. Do it for birthdays. And help protect your family. And game night. When you give your child the vax, you give them the power to learn. Do it for field trips. And campouts. To experience. And big hugs. And to be a kid. Get your child vaccinated and give them the power. Paid for with Pennsylvania taxpayer dollars.